In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. We need to be willing to be the ultimate servant. We need to put the servant's towel around our arm like Jesus did in John 13. And if we are not willing to serve, I question whether you can be a leader. I... It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. From Men in the Arena, it's Equipping Men in 10. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we we salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Equipping Men in 10, and I am Jim Ramos, here with Dale Culver, our producer. And how you doing, man? Doing really good. Well, I'm excited. This is about part four in our five-week series called The Five Essentials Every Man Must Possess to Change His World. Uh, this is right out of my new book called Strong Men, Dangerous Times. These are dangerous times. Be a man. And they're not dangerous, uh, life-threatening dangerous, but they're uh, dangerous in the sense of being verbally attacked, being vilified, uh, being discriminated against. I mean, it's crazy the discrimination against a lot of men nowadays in order to fulfill a quota, right? We saw our president do it in the selection of our vice president. Well, that yeah, was the discrimination. The funny thing is you can't even say what you're saying in a meme and put it on Facebook and boost it. Well, it will I, get listen, denied. I'm, I'm not <laughs> opposing um, our president. I don't like to get involved in politics. All I'm saying is when you make a statement that your vice president will be this and this, that is a discriminatory statement. Oh, I'm saying so, you can't even say that men are living dangerous times. I understand that, yeah. but but we are, and and so we can either sit back and be silent, yep. or we can push forward and say, "Listen, I'm not going to address you by the personal pronoun of your choice. I'm not going to let, uh, on one hand, say that you are trying to be non-discriminatory yet make a discriminatory statement. On the other hand, and not call you out, I'm just not going to do those things. I'm right. going to live as a follower of Christ. I'm going to live according to truth." And I'm not going to apologize for that. And I hope one day I would be seen worthy enough to take a bullet for my faith. I mean, mm-hmm. that would be the goal of a believer, right? To take a bullet. Anyway, so I want to jump into the meat of the podcast. This is part four in our series. And uh, this series here, again, we've taken the five essentials every man must possess to change his world. We will call that often the man card. These five things make the man card. If you miss one, give me your man card. So these five things... Combined with the 20 qualifications of a biblical elder, which should be the goal of every man, and we find those in the pastoral epistles of First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. And so that's what we're doing. And this one is close to my heart because 
we see these guys climb this mountain of manhood, right? They work hard on their integrity. They get, they, they engage in the climb, which is fighting apathy. Uh, they give their lives radically to Jesus Christ, which is pursuing God passionately. And then what I see, Dale, is is men at that top. They they do something weird sometimes. They defer all of their God-given responsibilities to the church. And I think this is a massive problem, especially in the larger churches. In the larger churches, we hear messages that say, hey, you show up, we'll be your spiritual Walmart. You drop your kids off, you drop your wife off, you drop your teenagers off, and we're just going to take care of you. And and what happens, and then, then we even get told this, hey, man, just go invite people to our church. Just invite, invite, invite. And these things confuse the message to men. Men are called to lead. They're called to be the ultimate spiritual leader in their household. Yes, it's okay to delegate some of these to other people. I think the church is a wonderful place. I'm a deacon in my church. I deeply love my church. But I realize at the end of the day, it is my responsibility as a man to lead my family spiritually. And men do not defer leadership. I don't know if you know this, Dale, but every year on the on Mount Everest, more people die on the descent than the climb. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. This year, my son Darby and I climbed the South Sister in Oregon, which is the third largest, tallest mountain in Oregon. And the, the climb was grueling. I mean, it was one of the most physically demanding things I've ever done in my life. But the danger was actually on the descent. When we were going down this um, volcanic rock, this ash, just this volcanic... Uh, um, just shale, just this broken up volcanic rock. And without my trekking poles, without the proper boots, it would have been bad. And there were, I remember seeing one little gal, she was a young gal. She went up that thing fast, but she was wearing like tennis shoes and she was all over the trail coming down. I mean, it was like dangerous because it was so steep. And so the descent is a dangerous part of the climb. And so, men, we have to realize, I think a lot of it, too, is we get cocky, right? Oh, I've done it. Now it's just back to the car. Right. And so with men, it's kind of the same way. Hey, I've done it. I'm doing my thing. I'm living my life. And I'm just going to kind of lean back and relax. And when you lean back and relax, you slip. It's when you lean forward on the downhill side and your nose over your toes that you finally gain the traction you need. And so leading courageously is our fourth of five essentials Every man must possess to change his world because God has called men to lead. So we pulled out four of the 20 qualifications for biblical elder, and we put them in here today for you. And, and I think these are when you, these are so appropriate for leadership. They're, they're perfect. It's just beautiful how God harmonized the 20 qualifications for a biblical elder with our five essentials of masculinity. I mean, really, just there's a beautiful harmonizing here. And so here are, here are the first one. The first one is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to be the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. The word that we chose there, uh, it depends on who you talk to. People will choose different things there. But it's a guy who's willing to do it, a willingness to serve. It's a guy who is, who has, who has been seen worthy and qualified, right, under these 20 qualifications. We call this guy a servant. So that's the word, a servant. 
If you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be an elder, if you're going to be a deacon, if you're going to be a man instead of a male, you are subscribing to become a servant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Take on the attitude which is that of Jesus Christ, who being in the nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the nature of a man and becoming a servant. servant. And that is the critical component of manhood and leadership, is being a servant. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, Dale, but we had a full staff meeting way back in the day when we were youth pastors together. You were my middle school pastor. I was the, I was the youth pastor. And we had a meeting around 2009 all with our full staff, and we were told we're going to have to start laying off some staff. Mm. And do you remember I raised how my do, hand? How do you remember not remember that? What, what happened in that meeting? Uh, you said, I'll fall on the sword, said, take me out. Fire me before Dale, because yeah. now I didn't hear that from anybody else. <laughs> Everybody else was kind of like, hey, man, I'm guarding my crap. Yeah. But I remember just saying, you know what, God? I mean, if anybody's going to fall on the sword, and I've told you this, you know, the guys don't realize this. Some of the guys don't, but we are a nonprofit organization. We aren't like some of these other organizations for men out there that are making a lot of money charging you 100 bucks a month to coach you on a Zoom call. We are not doing that. We are volunteer-driven. We are a nonprofit organization, and I, and I have told you, and, and sometimes it gets sketchy on the paychecks. And I've told you, if anybody's going to miss a paycheck, it'll be me before you. Thanks for that. Yeah, you suck, man. <laughs> anyway, but that's how I feel like. I think we need to, be, as men, be willing to fall on the sword. We need to be willing to be the ultimate servant. We need to put the servant's towel around our arm like Jesus did in John 13. And if we are not willing to serve, I question whether you can be a leader. I, I tell right. the story of a kid in our youth group who... One night, uh, so we were running our youth program, and this guy was a freshman in high school, and uh, some middle school boys that night, we had 150 middle school kids there in the room, you were there, and some middle school boy thought it'd be funny to go drop a deuce on the bathroom floor. <laughs> and this 15-year-old kid from a broken family, you know, a, a, you know, non, not a Christian family, he was one of our staff guys, because he was a brand new helper, and he, was, and he said, I remember he said, Jim, Jim, somebody dropped a dookie on the boy's bathroom floor. And I'm like, what? And this is in my book. This is in Strong Men, Dangerous Times. And I was like, oh, no. I'm thinking to myself, did the kid have corn? <laughs> you know, was it one of those solid protein uh, turds? You know, what? What? A, you know, was it a diarrhea thing? I mean, what is going on on this bathroom floor? Because I knew I had to go clean it. And this 15-year-old kid said, don't worry, I already cleaned it. I just want to let you know. And I, and I thought that was so mind-blowing because I know guys who felt – I know a guy in particular who felt called to full-time ministry – who was fired from his church as a janitor because he would not clean the toilets. and He was paid to do it. Mm. So here's what I'm going to tell you, guy. If you're not a servant, you're not an ultimate man, and you're not a leader. A leader is a servant. Yeah. Number two, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, and Titus chapter 1, verse 9 say? It says, able to teach. Yeah, so guys, listen. You are, if you are a, a qualified man biblically, if you are a leader, you are the primary teacher in your home. And it doesn't have to be, you know, pull out the book and let's teach. It could be lead by example. It could be showing your kids this or that. You are a teacher. So here are the, oh, I need to go back to servant. Servant, the two assessing statements there are, I find true joy in serving others. And number two, my family would say that I am a willing servant. Under teacher, number one, I regularly share my Christian beliefs. 
do you know what you believe, guy? Can you walk people through the components of the gospel? Do you know how to lead someone to Jesus? I mean, I've done it with all three of my kids. Very simple. I use four words, and I use a piece of a napkin. God, sin, Jesus Christ, and trusting. God loves you. He created you as a plan for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Sin separates you from God, creates a distance between you and God that nobody can escape. It is All of us are sinners. Jesus Christ bridged the gap, is the way, the truth, and the life, was born of a virgin, lived a sinful life, sinless life, died for crimes he did not commit, bore our sins on a cross, was resurrected on the third day, sits at the right hand of God, and trusting, will you walk across this canyon that Jesus has bridged with the cross and give your life to him and trust him every day of your life? It's very, very simple. Can you defend your faith? Can you hold an argument with somebody who argues against Christianity? I remember one time I was running youth group, Dale, and a kid walked in the thing, and I said, hey, welcome to our youth group. He goes, I'm an atheist. And I go, what? He goes, man, I'm an atheist. I go, what does that mean to you? He goes, I don't believe in God. I said, buddy, yes, you do. He goes, no, I don't. I'm an atheist. I go, hold on a second. You just said that you don't believe in God. Yes, I did. I'm an atheist. Well, hold on. How can you proclaim that you don't believe in God? Because if you didn't believe in God, you would never use the word God to proclaim your disbelief. But the very fact that you said, I don't believe in God, you put a title and a name on an object which you profess that you do not believe in, and the very statement is a profession of faith in God. So all you're really saying is you don't follow God that you already believe in. Oh, he started cussing like crazy. (laughs) But do we understand how to defend our faith? And then the second question is, I often share with others what I've learned from the Bible. Are you willing to share what you read? That's one of the greatest ways we can absorb the Word is by sharing the Word. And if we aren't sharing the Word, what are we sharing? Because we're all sharing something. Number three is found in 1 Timothy 3.4 and Titus 1.6. He must be one who manages his own household well. So this, the word here is leader. Are you a leader? Uh, the first question or statement is, I consistently lead by Joshua 24.15. Now, hold on a second. Most men should know what that verse is before I even say it. Do you? Dale, what is it? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Exactly. If you are stumped right now and you're like, what the hell does that verse mean? What is it? Guy, you may not be a leader. Have you drawn a line in the sand and proclaim to the world that your family will serve the Lord. Every man should memorize Joshua 24, 15. The second thing is this. My wife trusts my spiritual leadership. The greatest thing, one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life came from my wife. When we launched this ministry in 2012, I approached her and my family in 2011 And I said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We might lose our house. We might lose everything. And my wife said, I have followed you for 20 years. You've never disappointed me. I will follow you and trust you again. And if you rewind to 2001 and 2, when I felt God leading us away from our current assignment, my wife said, hey, man, when I married you, I vowed your people will be my people, and where you go, I will go. And a year later in 2003, we packed up our kids two rats, 
a dog and two cats. No, one cat. Two dogs and one cat, and we drove 900 miles, and we planted ourselves in McMinnville, Oregon, and we've been here ever since. So my wife trusts my spiritual leadership. And some of you guys listening, your wife won't even trust you to go to church on Sunday. And that is a massive, massive problem. And it is your problem. You need to love your wife well, lead your wife well, serve your wife well, teach your wife well. Which goes to the fourth point of a great leader, and it's in Titus 1.7. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed. Not self-willed. So what do you think the opposite of self-willed is, Dale? The opposite? I'm all about uh, others. All about others? Give me one word. Do you know what it is? Selfless. Selfless. Yes, good guess. C.S. Lewis, here's here's number one on the assessing statements. I live by C.S. Lewis's quote, that, quote, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Do you want your wife to follow you to church? Do you want your wife to follow you across the world on a missions trip? Do you want to follow her? Do you want her to follow you? Then be a leader, be a teacher, be a servant, but it starts with being selfless. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Jesus Christ now lives in me. This life I live in the flesh, I live for the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Can your wife say that about you? That you loved her and gave yourself up for her, as Christ did the church, as we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Number two, I am willing to listen and adjust if someone's idea is better than mine. I love this statement, Dale, because it speaks to a man who's not self-absorbed. If somebody's got a better idea, if somebody's got a better way of doing it, the leader who is selfless, the man who is selfless says, okay, instead of stubbornly digging his feet in the sand and going, it's my way the highway, baby, that guy has a problem. Mm -hmm. So I love these. I feel like, well, I don't feel... I believe these four fit beautifully into leading courageously. A man who is a servant, a man who is a teacher, a man who is a leader, a man who is selfless. Dale, what's that? What's up next, man? Drive us home. Yeah, guys, we want you to head on over to our website at meninthearena.org and grab your free electronic version of Jim's book. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game, get dirty, grind it out, and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.